0: The world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. This weekend marks the anniversary of the passing of Professor Mohammed Arkun, who died in 2010. Professor Arkun had a huge influence on my intellectual development and my intellectual commitments. This video is in his memory. The current dominant Islamic discourse in our societies repeats inherited dogmatic beliefs without subjecting these beliefs to a historical analysis. Because beliefs come from social actors, beliefs are social and historical constructions, beliefs did not come down from heaven we take texts that we have in consideration like the quranic text and we interpret it it is interpreted by social actors D'une certaine liberté interne aux deux versions que j'ai mentionnées, chez et Sunnites, Islam will go from a certain freedom loi, within both Sunnism and Shiism a certain freedom of initiative for the jurists to state control of the ulama who would become employees of the state. This is an extremely important point. There is then a manipulation of religion, of Islam, by post-colonial states all of them without exception. And in response to this monopoly that the state will exert instrumentalizing religion to build a form of legitimacy that the state does not acquire through democratic means, it will generate within society movements of political opposition that will grow inside the mosques after independence a considerable number of mosques were built which means that the state gave society spaces of freedom from which will emerge a position that will enter into rivalry with the state to exert monopoly over controlling Islam again with the goal of getting legitimacy. In other words, the face of Islam completely changes in the modern period, in the sense that it does not have any more theologians that are worth that name, exegetes that are worth that name, jurists that are worth that name. This dates from long ago historically, but after the 1930s they exerted pressure to instrumentalize religion ideologically, not politically, has never before been to this degree of pressure and consequently to this degree of dislocation and confiscation of a religion to fulfill an ideological function in society, ideological for the state and ideological for the opposition. There is no intellectual field anymore. There is no protest coming from a civil society that is conscious or that has the tools to become conscious of the changes of, and the confiscation of a religion that is losing the spiritual and moral functions that every religion ought to fulfill, and that is becoming a victim of all kinds of manipulation by other social actors uh, including the ulama who do uh, not have have any access to to learning about Muslim societies through what social social and human sciences teach us about how societies produce their histories. Les sciences de l'homme et de la société sur ce qui se passe dans les sociétés pour produire, pour produire leur propre histoire. There is no society where this sort of violence does not exist. Violence is an anthropological dimension of society, the most ancient and the most sophisticated and modernized of societies give birth to violence. Even in our modernity, we had violence that is worse than anything we could have imagined in the history of societies. I'm thinking of Nazism and Stalinism. There is nothing worse than that. And after those experiences, we spoke about memory, and about never forgetting, etc. What do we see in reality? We still speak a lot about genocide. The word genocide that many do not want to trivialize for reasons that we all know. But the massacres of entire populations are a reality in front of us. And it is a fact also that while witnessing these massacres, We know well that they are the outcome of a certain policy. But how far should we go back in history to establish the genealogy of this violence in the form it takes today? And when we start a prosecution, and we started prosecutions uh, on the events in Rwanda and many other places, but the commissions do not lead to satisfying results because the real genealogy established by scrupulous historians that would make us face certain realities, they are interrupted for state reasons, many ones. the level of the imaginaire concerning Islam. It's not about Islam. It's what I call, and this is a little complex, but uh, reality is complex, so we need tools of analysis that are very sharp, what I call the religious regime of truth. How truth is constructed within a religion, and how this constructed truth, socially, historically, and culturally constructed truth, becomes a transcendent reference, ontological, indisputable, under the name of belief, for example. But there is a place to do a genealogy of a religious belief, and of a religious truth, like Nietzsche did for the genealogy of Christian values we must apply the Nietzschean method for a philosophical and anthropological critique of values and of what religions call truth. But also, when we take this road, there will arise the question of the regime of truth according to modern secular reason, because the wars of Hitler and Stalin were not conducted in the name of a traditional religious truth, but in the name of ideologies that functioned with exactly the same tools, the same procedures of reasoning and of legitimation that religions had used. These are lines of analysis that take us very far. So, Judging terrorism, it's horrible, it's frightful, of course it is, but it leads us to the human, it leads us to human nature, it leads us to human reason, and to the very, various ways in which reason functions. Now we had two experiences, we can say, in the history of reason. The religious experience and we saw what it produced, and we still see what it can produce, and the experience of modern reason that took political power and intellectual power since at least the 18th century. And we cannot ignore that it is inside European countries where modernity had emerged and had achieved its best conquests, that there was Stalinism and Hitlerism that are terrible experiences. Plus <laughs> la modernité a émergé et a fait ses meilleures conquêtes qu'il y a eu. Le stalinisme et hitlérisme. Modernity did not take seriously the religious question. It was content with pushing it aside and locking it in what was called the private sphere. Intellectually, this does not work. Spiritually, it is not acceptable. Because humans need emotions. They need to dream, to transcend themselves, to expand Religion allowed them to do that, but at the same time, religion led them to build the polis in the manner that we know, and that's what we need to battle with today. Every project of human reason contains or is amenable to contain an ideological component. This is part of the human condition. Human beings cannot be perfect, infallible, mistake-free, whose discourse contains no ideology or mythology. This does not exist. That's why reason imposes on reason in every culture and in every thought the understanding that reason makes mistakes, that reason always leans toward ideology, and society as a whole and social structures impose on reason a pressure that makes it lean toward ideology and belong to ideology, that's why in my whole life I did not join a political party nor a union with a political agenda. This does not mean that I did not participate in intellectual currents and struggles. But I participate as a human being and as a citizen that imposes on himself this method. That reason imposes on reason. And there is a saying of the Sufi Abdul Qadir Al-Jilani in his gunya. He said, quote, I fought the truth with the truth for the truth. End of quote. What a beautiful saying. I fought the truth with the means of the truth in order to know the truth. But despite that, I will not fully succeed. Listen, all people of understanding. This is a saying of Abdul Qadr Jilani that matches modern epistemology. This is what critical epistemology calls for. I connect the phenomenon of violence to what we call true religion. Because Judaism says it is the true religion. And Christianity says it is the true religion. And Hinduism says it is the true religion, etc. When we take a look at this situation, All these voices use the same conception, and when this conception is espoused by populations within various social and political structures, we are in a state of violence. Violence. We cannot simply describe it as religious, and we cannot simply describe it as political. It is basic to the life of the human being as a political animal, as Aristotle called him long ago. (laughs) The Enlightenment in the 18th century, what did it mean? It meant the liberation of reason from the restrictions of theology and from the restrictions of religious laws of the church that monitored all the productions of reason in the same way that the ulama monitor them within Muslim contexts. It's the same thing. With the enlightenment, reason expanded beyond the limits set by theology. As I mentioned in a previous interview, religion or religious control goes along with the practices of political power. Political power is used to control and direct reason. The enlightenment liberated reason from those restrictions So that reason started to raise questions about history and it became possible to write a comparative history of religions. This was an attempt that started in Europe in the 19th century only. Before that, this was not possible. It was not within the domain of the thinkable. Long ago, in 1984, I wrote a book entitled A Critique of Islamic Reason, meaning a historical critique, the stages of reason, the changes of reason, the diverse forms of rationality produced by reason in a certain culture. We must know all of this. Reason is not something that functions eternally in the same fashion. It is not the intellect of the Middle Ages that communicated with heaven. And here too, constantly referencing the golden periods that were indeed and undeniably fruitful and dynamic, serves nothing today because medieval reason has become intellectually obsolete scientifically obsolete even spiritually obsolete consequently other things were done since the 16th century